in, in Genesis chapter 12 tonight. Um, we'll read that in just a moment. We have uh, a series going on on Wednesday nights tied to geographical places. And we're calling it Where Saints Have Trod. And there have been saints of God in a lot of different places, especially in the Bible. We have a, a record of where the saints have trod. And some of those places were really happy places. and Some of them were, weren't so happy. But we're going to visit a lot of them. We probably won't cover every place, uh, or we'd probably be in that series till the Lord comes back. I don't think we would be able to exhaust it on Wednesday nights. And so we'll, uh, we'll come to them one at a time and just, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to be exhaustive in it, but I just felt like by looking at some of the places where God's people have been, certain events took place while they were there, and those events are at least of interest to us, and there's usually a lot of good lessons we can learn from what happened at any given place. And so we'll be looking at those places tonight, and especially in, in uh, chapter 12 of Genesis. We talked about uh, Abraham last time, and he was called on by the Lord to leave Ur of the Chaldees. And we talked about Ur, you are. And it was a pagan place uh, that Abraham was a, an idolater. It's pretty clear in Scripture that they were all, and some of the Scriptures reveal to us that even Abraham, they were from a land of idolatry, and, and they participated in it. And God in His grace looked down and, and chose Abraham to be the father of a nation that would later become known as Israel and through whom he would bless all the peoples of the earth. And that's still true, uh, that he is blessing the world. Well, just think about the fact that Jesus, our Savior, came through Jacob's tribe and became the Savior of the world. That's a pretty big blessing, wouldn't you say? <laughs> We're just looking at Exploring some of these places in the Bible that have some social, spiritual, practical application for us in it. And tonight we'll, uh, we'll just read beginning in chapter 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land under the place of Sikkim under the plain of Morah and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land 
And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. Father, we pray that you'd bless us in our study tonight. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open and ready to receive that which you have from us from thy special and flawless word. I pray that you'd help us to have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and a will to do that which you instruct us to do. May it be a blessing to each person who hears tonight. Lord Jesus, we love you and thank you for being our Savior. And Lord, we just want to honor you tonight from your own word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was in... New York City, <laughs> a bunch of times back when I was delivering new trucks, they were manufactured down here at Cabot. But well, the, the trucks were bought bought as a just a chassis. It had a cab and a chassis, and then they would mount on that chassis down at Cabot. You know that most of these were international trucks, and they'd mount a stainless steel tank on them and pumping equipment to be used in the portable toilet industry. And I got to drive them when they were new before they had been used. <laughs> that was a blessing. And I delivered a bunch of them to New York City. And one Christmas, we were going up there to take some, take a truck back. Or we were going up there to pick up a, a couple of trucks and bring them back from the company we're delivering to. We took some new trucks up, and we're going to bring in some older ones back to rework them and put new equipment on them. And Jonathan Smith and Aaron went with me. And Jonathan was uh, going to drive one back. And so we got... Uh, it, it was Christmas and it was raining and and uh, the windshield was wet and the Christmas lights were shining all over our windshield and everything was blurry and pedestrians everywhere, Christmas shoppers. And so we got to this traffic light in the middle of New York City and, and the light turned yellow. I thought I could beat it through and I tried, started to. And I remember Jonathan's behind me, him and Aaron's following me. And, or, no, I think Aaron was with me. Uh, I don't remember which it was, but I just figured Jonathan not going to know his way out of here, and so I better go ahead and stop. So I hit the brakes and, and at that stoplight, and, and I've got the nose of the rig sticking out in the intersection, people having to walk around me, and this, this black cop standing over tra- directing traffic, he's, he looked to be a little older than me, kind of skinny and wiry and looked like he wasn't happy at me. And he, he's, he's, he's looking at me with the nose of my truck sticking out there, making all the pedestrians walk around. And he watches me until the light, uh, the, the light goes to turn uh, for the side traffic to make a left-hand turn. And so when it did, he walked over to my truck. And I thought, boy, he's going to get me now. <laughs> and so he walked over. I rolled my window down. And he looked up at that light. He said, next time, just go on through. Just go on through. And, and I'm holding up the traffic for half of New York City. And what we see here in this story tonight is Abraham, he's been instructed when he left Ur of the Chaldees, he was told by God to go to the land of Canaan. He's going to a land of promise. God said, I'm going to give you this land up there to your descendants. And it's called Canaan land. And uh, this is the land of promise. This is the land of milk and honey. You go up there and settle in Canaan because that's what I'm going to give you. Well, he gets up to Haran, and he hangs out there. And he doesn't go on down in. We got that map up there? 
I want to just kind of point out where Haran is. You see it up at the top of the map where the number two is. Now you can see Canaan way down there at the end of the arrow. He comes out of Ur of the Chaldees, comes all the, up, all the way up the Euphrates River and crosses over and hangs out there in the town of Haran. And he's there for an indefinite amount of time. He didn't go on into the promised land like God had instructed him. He gets stuck on the border. Now, there's a Mexican restaurant called On the Border, and I like that one, but I wouldn't want to get caught on this border. He's not in the right place. Anytime God tells you to go somewhere and do something, he gives you instructions, and you follow halfway and then halt. And that's what we call the message, halting at Haran. Halting at Haran. And this is a predicament of hesitation that took place at this time. And centuries later, you'll remember a similar event took place when the children of Israel are down in Egypt and they're held in bondage and God sends Moses down. He delivers them from bondage. He finally convinces Pharaoh to let them go. And so here's millions of Jews being led by Moses out of Egypt and they're going up through the wilderness towards the promised land. See, God always wants his people to be in Canaan land. And that's where the Hebrews were supposed to be. And so they're headed up there and they come to Kadesh Barnea. And they send the spies over into Canaan land to spy it out. Now God's already told them they're going to take it. But still they send out spies and 10 of the 12 come back and say, we can't do it, boys, we just can't do it. Them people are bigger than us. They'll whoop the snot out of us. That's in Hebrew. And so they, they stall at Kadesh Barnea. And God's not happy at them. And for 40 years, they wander in the wilderness. And so you can see, when God gives instructions to go into the promised land, it's best to go. But here's Abraham. He's hanging out up over the north side of the promised land. He's not in there. He's in a town, but it's not in Canaan. Now, a lot of commentators say, that well, it's, it's, he's on his way. It doesn't matter. But I see that he's halted there, and I believe he made a mistake. Well, he hasn't been saved too awfully long. I guess you and I probably made some mistakes when we first got saved too, didn't we? I mean, we didn't, we didn't do everything according to God's plan. In fact, we probably heard some messages preached and probably read some verses in the Bible and heard some Sunday school lessons that told us this is what God wants you to do. God wants you to be discipled. God wants you to enter into the promised land. And we didn't fully obey. Yeah? Probably everybody in this room is guilty of that, including your preacher. And so... We can't get too high and mighty on our high horse saying, that old devil Abraham, he should have just obeyed the Lord in the first place. Well, we should too. But it's that same type of apathy that caused Abraham to hang out at Haran for a good while before he went on into the promised land. It's that same kind of apathy that can affect you and me today. God gives us instructions and we don't fully follow and we're just stuck on the border. We're halting at Haran. Not going on into the blessings of God. And we end up with a cheap substitute for the victory life that God means for us to have. A church that is not pushing forward in faith 
to reach people is just like an individual who's not reaching forth to fulfill God's will. We have no purpose and we get stagnant and a little bit lazy. Let me show you what happens here. Let's look at about four different things that happen that I want you to notice. First is the confirmation of the delay. Well, some, I said some students of the word say that, that uh, this delay was insignificant, that he went on in. But that doesn't excuse the time spent that he didn't go in. The receiving of the call in Ur meant Abraham's stay at Haran was unauthorized. He didn't have God's permission. God told him where to go and he didn't go all the way. And the recording of the call given here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, watch it with me again. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, notice that word, that verb, words are important. (laughs) Words are important. And the tense of that verb says, now the Lord had said, indicating that the Lord had already said this. And he had said it when he was down in Ur. It wasn't just, this not the first time Abraham's heard this. He knew. The Lord had already told him. He had said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country. Okay, he did that. He got out of the country. He got out of Ur. But wait, let's read on. And from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now there's some things in between these two phrases here that we'll address a little bit later in the message. But he says unto a land I will show thee. And he's not there yet. He's in Haran instead. And Abraham was instructed to leave Ur and enter Canaan. But he got stuck on the border. We delay. When God has given us specific instructions to do something, we delay. It'll cost us. It cost Abraham some time and some blessings. And we'll get into that a little bit deeper. I remember the story about the guy, his businessman was in the airport waiting for his 8 a.m. flight to Chicago and he's trying to kill a little time because his flight, he got there early. And so he's killing a little time and he sees the scale sitting over. You saw those before, haven't you, where you put your quarter in and it'll tell you how much you weigh and what your fortune is and that stuff. So he's fooling around anyway. He decides he'll give it a try. He goes over and drops a quarter in it and uh, it printed him out a little ticket. said, uh, you're John Smith. You weigh 190 pounds, and you're catching the 8 a.m. flight to Chicago. And the guy looks at that, and he says, that is amazing. <laughs> How did that thing know that anyway? He looked around to see if anybody knew him that was maybe interfering <laughs> with him somehow, and he didn't see anybody, so he said, I'm going to try this again. So he put in another quarter, and the scale spit out a ticket that said, you're still John Smith? You're still 190 pounds, and you're still catching the flight at 8 a.m. to Chicago. And he just flabbergasted. He said, I don't know how. A scale that never saw me before, how could it know that about me? And he pulls out another quarter, (laughs) and he drops it in there. And spits out another ticket. It says, you're still John Smith. You still weigh 190 pounds, but you just missed the 8 a.m. flight to Chicago. Delay cost us. Delay cost Abraham. He had instructions on what he was supposed to do, but he didn't do it. Abraham delayed his move 
to Canaan by getting stuck on the border. Now notice the second thing, the cause of the delay. <clears throat> we know the scripture is telling us that he actually did get instructions in Ur, and we'll, we'll prove that a little bit more as we go through, but he actually did get instructions in Ur that he's supposed to go all the way to Canaan, but he didn't make it. But what was the cause of the, the delay anyway? At Niagara Falls, there was a man watching. It was in the middle of the winter, and the ice is beginning to, to come down the river in and, and chunks, and the gulls were gathering on those blocks of ice floating down the river. It's really cold. <laughs> and so these gulls are sitting on those blocks of ice as they approach the falls, dropped off of the cliff. And uh, those birds were attracted to those blocks of ice because some of them had fish caught in them. And those gulls would sit on the block of ice and peck on those fish and eat, get free lunch. And so they're, uh, they're coasting along on that block of ice. They get close to the, closer to the falls and they take off. Spread their wings, and up in the air they go. Well, this guy said, I was watching this one gull, and he's just unaware of where he is, I guess. And he said he's, he's really obsessed with pecking on that fish. Boy, he's eating that fish and having him a good time just lunching on some frozen fish. And he said, then he got noticed he was right at the edge of the falls. And that bird spread his wings to take off but his claws had frozen him into that block of ice. And over went the block of ice, bird and all, into the abyss. It's not good to delay. When God has given us instructions, we don't want to be like the gull going over the cliff. We follow his instructions. Abraham, you should have, you should have listened to God a little closer. You should have been obedient a little bit better. You should have gone on. And so his failure to do all that the summons told him was his failure. The anemic part of his obedience was that he didn't do it all. Did he come out of Ur? Yes, he did. Was he headed in the right direction to go to the promised land? He was. But what did he leave out? He obeyed part of the summons. Listen, it's important when we're obeying God, if he gives us instructions uh, from his word, we don't need to leave out parts of it. He had said in verse number one, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. Well, we read, let's back up and look in the previous chapter, chapter 11, and verse number 31. Now remember, Abram got the call in Ur. What's he told to do? Get out of this country. Leave it behind. Leave behind your kindred and your father and your father's house. Verse 31 of chapter 1, or chapter 11. And Terah took Abram his son. Now, do you notice what's happening here? Terah's the one doing the taking. Abram got the call. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son. Now, Haran, this Haran, this is not the place Haran. That Haran there is his son that had already died. And his son's son and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, 
his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran and dwelt there. So Abraham started out doing the right thing. He left the right place, but he didn't obey fully. He left Ur, but he didn't leave his father and his family. Now Sarah was supposed to follow him. Why? Because the Bible teaches that a wife should follow her husband. And that was fine. But he was specifically told, I've got, a, I've got something I need you to do, Abraham. I need you, I need you to leave the country, leave behind your father's house. You're the guy in charge. This is what your calling is. You go to the promised land. You go to Canaan. But instead, his family went with him. Not just his wife. That was good that she went. But he was told, see, sometimes it's family that keeps people from fully serving God. Are we supposed to turn our backs on our family and and hate them or not love them anymore? No, when you've got a calling from God, you have to follow God's instructions. In the New Testament, Jesus said, uh, if you if you don't love me with a love that is much higher than that which you have for your family, I'm paraphrasing, then you don't love me right. See, God comes first. And if you have a calling from God, Abraham, you've got a calling from God. You can't put your family first. You have to put God's calling first. And you do that and then... Let God take care of the father and the mother. That was his specific call. He obeyed part, except the part about leaving his relatives. Insisting, some insist here that the call was originally given to Terah instead of Abraham. But notice what it says in 1131. Terah took Abram, his son, and the rest of them went with him. Now notice also, if you've got the Bible handy, look at Acts chapter 7 and verse number 2. And we'll show more proof that this call did not come to Terah. Terah was not the one supposed to be calling the shots. This was Abraham's call. Acts chapter 7 and verse number 2. <clears throat> Stephen is, is preaching his sermon just before he's stoned. And... Verse 2 says, And he said, men, and brother, men, and, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charon. Charon is the, is the Greek rendition of the word Haran. <clears throat> and it says, This glory of God appeared to Abraham before he went to Charon. And he said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. Now did God say, Get away from your, your kindred? He did. He said, I don't like that. Well, you'll have to take it up with God. I didn't write it. <laughs> That's what he said. And come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Charon. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein you now dwell. So it's clearly the call of Abram, not the call of Terah. <clears throat> Isaiah 51 2 says that God called him, Abraham, alone. The word alone. He didn't call Terah, he called Abraham. 
God didn't call his nephew, Lot, nor his brothers, just Abraham. But his wife went with him because they were married. Terah presumed that since he was the father of this family, he was the oldest one of the family, that he was supposed to stay in charge of Abraham and the rest of the crew. But that's not what God called him for. God didn't call Terah. Remember, when God gives you a call, your family may talk, try to talk you out of that call. Your family may try to change your call. I have, I have a dear sweet mother in heaven that when the Lord called me to preach and to go to Bible college in Oklahoma City, I was loading up a U-Haul truck. Now, they, they knew uh, that, that we'd already decided to go, but she was brokenhearted. And, of course, being a mother, she wanted to see me stay. And she said, son, I don't know why you have to go off out there. Or no, I take it, that's when we were moving to Denver. And she said, I don't know why you have to go off out there to serve the Lord. Why couldn't you just stay here and serve the Lord? I said, Mom, it's because God called me out there. I'll come back and visit you. I'll still love you. You'll still be my mother. And we'll spend some holidays together. But God's called me there. And that's where I've got to go. Now, as much as I loved my mother, I couldn't let her talk me out of it. And I don't think if she, she said that out of a broken heart, I don't think she would really want me to stay knowing that it was God's will. She's the one that prayed for me for years and years that God would save me and use me in his ministry and in his service. And so I know she wouldn't have really wanted me to stay, but she wanted her son close by her. And family will sometimes try to talk you out of doing what you think is best when you've heard the Lord speak to your own heart. God gives specific instructions in his word, and we certainly can't disobey that. F.B. Meyer says it becomes us to be very careful as to whom we take with us in our pilgrimage. We may make a fair start from Ur, but if we take Terah with us, we shall not go far. Take care, young pilgrim, to eternity, to whom you mate yourself in the marriage bond. Beware, man of business, lest you find your Terah in the man with whom you are entering into a partnership. We have to be careful. When it comes to obeying God, we, can't, we just can't make substitutes. Elizabeth Elliot told of her brother, Thomas Howard, when they were little kids, so that her, their mother had let him play with some paper bags she'd saved if he'd put them away afterwards. Well, one day she walked into the kitchen and found those paper bags scattered all over, and Thomas was out in the uh, common area, singing hymns as his father played the piano. And his mother went and confronted him about the paper bags on the kitchen floor. And uh, he said, the little boy said, but mom, I want, to, I want to sing with dad. I want to sing hymns with dad. His dad said, son, you can't sing the praises of the Lord while you're disobedient true Abraham might have been praising the Lord at Haran at first Baptist men's breakfast 
He might have been singing the praises of the Lord. He might have been testifying, but being disobedient, we don't know how effective that would be. Let me show you a third thing, the compromise in the delay. The compromise. <clears throat> Abraham started out right. He came out, but he didn't go in. You see, when God saves us, he wants us to come out from our sins. He wants us to come out from the world. And he made that very plain in Second Corinthians. Come ye out from among them, saith the Lord, and be ye separate, and I will receive you unto myself, and I'll be a father unto you. If we don't come out, compromise is the tune we play. It's never unnecessary to go all the way with the instructions of God. I remember a man being saved here years ago, and his wife had been praying for him to get saved, and she wanted him to be saved. Well, he did get saved. And boy, he, he started getting on board with everything the Lord wanted. Man, he was, he was wanting to sing, and he wanted to come to church, all the church service, come to all the special meetings, and he wanted to witness to people, and, and he wanted to read his Bible, and he wanted to do all the things that a Christian normally would do. Well, his wife wasn't real happy about all that. And she wanted him saved, but she didn't want him that saved. <laughs> and that's the way it happens a lot of times. People want to be saved, but they don't want to come out. They want to compromise. I want a man on visitation once in Searcy and <clears throat> just knocked on his door. He, uh, he was a businessman in town. And uh, he realized his lost condition, prayed and asked the Lord to save him. I said, will you, will you come to church on Sunday? He said, yeah. He said, man, I, I'd, I'd love to. And so I was looking forward to seeing this fellow in church. He seemed to be excited about being saved. Well, he didn't show up on Sunday. You never had that happen to you, did you? Invite somebody and they didn't come? <laughs> well, he didn't show up. So I decided I'd go and drop in, make a visit, see what was going on with him. And when I knocked on the door, I found out he wasn't home. His wife answered the door. She said, he's, he's gone, he's in the town, but uh, I don't know when he'll be back. And I told her who I was and why I was there. I said, I was just checking on him. He, I said, did he tell you he got saved last week? She said, yeah, he did. And she said, we're really happy about that. And I said, well, I was, I was hoping to see him in church on Sunday. She said, oh, yeah, about that. She said, she said where am I? When my parents go to church, uh, they've been wanting him to get saved too. And so we've decided that he ought to go to church with, with us at my parents' church. <laughs> I said, well, you know, like, I always encourage people to go to church, to the, go to the church uh, at least for a while where the people cared enough to tell him the gospel and try to get him saved. And that seemed like a good place to go. She said, well, we appreciate you uh, witnessing to him and showing him how to be saved, but he's just going to go with us. And so that's the way that worked out. You see, there's always the point of some sort of compromise, and especially when family tries to lead you in a different direction. Tara was doing that with Abraham. Tara was causing them. And it wasn't until Tara died and they buried him at Haran. And that's when Abraham went on into the promised land. Now notice number four. This is my last one. And with any luck, we'll be out of here by 11 or 11.30 tonight. 
the correcting of the delay. He was stuck on the border. He was halted in Haran. He's delayed to follow through on what the Lord has said. Now notice in chapter 11, verse 32. Terah died in Haran. And the New Testament text confirms that his death resulted in Abraham finally getting back on track. In fact, in chapter 7 of Acts again, we go back to chapter 7 because Stephen gave us some information in the book of Acts in the New Testament that we don't know about from Genesis. In Acts chapter 7, verse 4, it said that Abraham came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Charon, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him, Abraham, into this land, Canaan. So apparently, the death of Abraham, or the death of Terah, rather, got Abraham moving again. He's stuck on the border. He's not moving. He's not going where God told him to go. He's not following the instructions fully that God gave him. And then his father died. It's too bad that sometimes it takes a heartache, a heartbreak, a tragedy, some hurt to get us moving for God again. He's stuck on the border. Let me just say that faith demands commitment. His commitment should have been to the Lord first and foremost instead of to Terah. Faith demands commitment. Commitment demands surrender to the Lord. And surrender invites the life of Canaan, the land of milk and honey. There is a victorious life for every Christian. And in spite of what the songs say, Canaan land does not represent a a believer dying and going to heaven. I know we sing that sometimes, but that's not what it means. Canaan land is a picture of the victorious Christian life. When you get saved, God has a plan for you. Now, it may be that you know specific plans that God has for you. It may be that God has called somebody to be a missionary. It may be that God has called somebody to <coughs> excuse me, be a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist. It may be that God has called somebody to be in the music ministry. It may be that God has called somebody to do something specific. But one thing he wants for every believer, I say every believer, God wants every believer to be discipled from the point of discipleship, from the point of salvation, into a victorious Christian life where everything is surrendered to God. And that means living for him without having to put family before God. That means living out his life, that land of blessing, being filled with the Holy Spirit where we have surrendered to him, where we're doing everything that he would have us to do according to his word. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about having every impression that comes into our mind to be the will of God. I think sometimes you can run into the ditch on either side of the road. And sometimes people have an impression, well, I think I ought to be, I think I ought to be, uh, the greatest uh, missionary that ever lived. Well, that may not be what God wants for you. And just because that, that idea comes into the mind doesn't mean that it's the will of God. You find the will of God by searching the scriptures and praying, seeking counsel from godly people. But the Canaan life, what I'm talking about is what I do know God wants for every single Christian. Whether you're called to preach or not, whether you're called to be a school teacher or not, whether you're called to be in, in some other ministry, 
or not. I do know that God wants every single believer to be surrendered to Him and living the life of victory. Romans will give us a lot of instruction about that. God wants you to come out of Ur. Ur being that land where worldliness and paganism dominates. When we get saved, when God calls us and we leave Ur, it's not just enough to leave Ur. Coming out is one thing, but going in is another thing. How do you come out of Ur? You come out of Ur by faith. How do you come into the promised land? By faith. When he got to Haran, if Abraham would have just said, Lord, I'm not letting anything stop me here. I'll have, uh, I'll have a few days with my family, and if they want to stay here, that's fine. I don't know what your will is for them, but I know what you called me to do. You called me to go into Canaan. Amen. And when we follow the Lord fully by being surrendered, listen, to the Holy Spirit of God, that means that we're willing to come out of our worldliness and into the fullness of the surrendered life. Living a life of surrender, saying, Lord, whatever you want, it's yours. Whatever you would ask me to do, I'll do. Fully committed. Obedience leads to a new assurance. When, when Abraham got this thing right after Terah died, it says immediately Abraham's back on his way. Genesis chapter 12 verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed will I give this land and there builded he an altar unto him who appeared unto him. What happened there? Abraham got obedient. He's hanging out on the border. He's up there in Haran when he should have been known into the promised land. And then after Terah died... He moved on into the promised land. As soon as he moved into the promised land, he builds an altar and God's speaking to him again. Hello? God's speaking to him. Now he's obedient. Now he's doing the will of God. Now he's following God's instructions. And now that communication is, is back working between God and Abraham again. In John seven seventeen, it says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God. You know how to... How to please God, know how to know if it's the right thing or not. Do the will of God. Once we start doing the will of God, it makes our head clear up a lot. The Bible teaches about, in Proverbs, it teaches about works. If our works are established, our thoughts will be established. Do the right thing and you will think the right thing. If we're doing the wrong thing, the devil's probably going to put some thoughts in here that don't belong. What a comfort it must have been to Abraham and Sarah as they got some fresh revelation from God as they arrived in this land where they were supposed to be already. Dangerous place. I mean, they're in a place where not everything's perfect in Canaan. But you're safer in the will of God where there's danger, then you will be out of the will of God any place else. If you're going to claim your spiritual inheritance in Christ, He has blessings built up for His people. And if we're going to claim that inheritance, if we're going to claim this victorious Christian life, we surrender to God, say, Lord, 
I'm yours. I'm signing my life as a blank check, and I'm handing it to you. And you write in whatever you want, and that's what I'll do. It takes faith. So the bad news is that we can get ourselves stuck on the border. We can be hanging out in Haran when we don't follow him completely, when we're partially obedient. That's the bad news. The good news is when you decide that you want to follow God, like the prodigal son who came back to the father, the father's waiting with open arms. And he'll do that with his children. As a pastor, I have a bit of a balancing act to do in preaching especially passages like this. Because on the one hand, I don't want to see people stuck on the border halfway obedient to God. And then on the other hand, I don't want to come on too strong and just say, hey, you need to, you just need to go full, full-fledged ahead no matter what your plans are. Your plans may not be God's plans. And so my balancing act is to get somebody stirred up to get off the border and get into God's revealed will, but I don't want to go so far that I cause somebody to surrender to do something that God didn't mean for them to do in the first place. Some people, listen, some people meaning well kick open some doors that God meant to stay closed. And while it's not good to stay stuck in Haran, don't want to, if you've got clear indication of what you should be doing, just do it. But if I've always felt like it's the safest thing just to stay put where we are until we get God's okay to do something different. Once you know, David Crockett said this, he said, be sure you're right and then go ahead. Know that you're right and then go ahead. But don't run ahead of God. The main point of this lesson is that God wants all of us moving towards spiritual maturity. That I do know. That he wants us moving towards being filled with the Spirit of God and surrendered and living the victorious Christian life. In the early years of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln became very angry (laughs) with the Union commander, George McClellan, president wrote him a note, one sentence letter. He said, if, if you don't want to use the army, I should like to borrow it for a while. You know what he's saying to McClellan? You've got your instructions. Why are you hanging out in Heron? Get busy. Taking action. On God's plain instructions ought to be the highest priority in our life. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, help us to love you like we should. Help us, Lord, not to make excuses or become apathetic, uncaring, not willing to move ahead. Lord, if you've shown shown any of us things that you want us to clear out of our lives, Lord, help us to not sit on the fence, but to move forward. Lord, if if you mean for us to be doing something that we haven't yet started and we know it's your will, Lord, help us not to hang out on the border any longer. Help us just to step on in to the promised land and follow your instructions. 
Lord, I pray that if there's one person under the sound of my voice tonight that knows that they're lost, they've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, I pray they'd quit sitting on the fence, hanging out in Heron, stop halting, stop hesitating. And tonight, they'd say, Dear Lord, I want you to save me because I believe Jesus died for me and I believe he paid for my sins like the Bible says. I know I'm a sinner and I can't pay for my own sins. I could never do enough good to right the wrongs. Lord, I'm a sinner like the Bible says and I believe Jesus died for me. I'm accepting him as my Savior this very night. And Lord, with your help, I'll come out of Ur. I'll not stop off at Heron. I'll keep marching towards the promised land. Lord, I'll follow your will. I pray, Father, that all those who have heard this gospel message in the invitation that Jesus died for them, that they had received him tonight as Savior. Lord, for the Christians who have not fully obeyed, as I tonight's the night I've decided to move on into the Canaan's land. I pray that you'd bless us to that end. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.